This episode of The Pillar Podcast is brought to you by Seton Home Study School. To find out if Seton Home Study School is right for you and your family, check it out at seatonhome.org. That's seatonhome.org. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I am your host, your co-host, so far as any conversation between uh, two people can be said to have a host. Um, I am one of your several interlocutors today. Pillar editor and co-founder Ed Condon, and I am joined, as I almost always am, by my my friend, my colleague, my co-conspirator, um, James Daniel Flynn, editor in chief and co-founder of the Pillar. James, how you doing? Uh, hey, Ed, and hey, everybody. Uh, great to see you. And um, this is a very special episode of the Pillar Podcast. I'm excited not not just because it took us about a hundred years to get going. I am, you know, I think listeners know that I'm spending a couple of weeks at my in-laws' kind of summer. Place I, I say cottage, but place I guess is the right word. Summer place in um, in Western Illinois, and um, we have had so, just some difficulties, Ed, with the internet here getting this show off the ground. So the very fact that it's happening is exciting for us. But that's not why it's a very special episode of the Pillar Podcast. Um, tell the listeners at home, Ed, why this is such an, an, a special uh, what we're doing today, and, and how much fun it's going to be potentially. Well, uh, okay. So the thing is, this a couple of weeks ago we wanted to play a sort of quasi game um, after Pope Francis had his sort of, you know, legacy week of announcing a bunch of new appointments, including a bunch of new Cardinals. And we toyed with the idea of doing a sort of C9 fantasy draft of, of the Cardinals. And we never got around to it. And I had a couple of people write it and say, actually that sounded very interesting. I would like, I would, I would have liked to have listened to that. And so we thought about doing it as a game um, at the end of an episode, but I think we both agreed fairly quickly that that would, that would be too much to try and bite off in wrapping up an episode with a quick 10 minute game of trying to pick a, a sort of fantasy cardinalatial cabinet. Uh, so we just say we do it. We just do it for the whole show. This yeah, is our, just, this is our this cardinalatial is our, this draft, is draft show. Day. It's draft day, baby. We should yeah. have worn suits appropriate to draft day. I mean, we should have had our families here waiting for the draft results or we should have had cardinals. We should have had cameras in the living rooms of cardinals with their parents waiting to see where they would get drafted in our, uh, in our uh, mock draft. I'm not going to say fantasy draft because I don't like that language, but in our mock draft, uh, we should have had cameras in the living rooms of Cardinals so they could find out if they're going to be drafted. Um, we're going to do that. I, I don't know who gets the first dra- round draft pick. We're going to have to talk well, about that. We're going to set some rules first. Uh, okay. We're going to set this up a little bit. So okay. first should of all, we, we start at maybe just a little background? Let's remind listeners if they're not, you know, if they don't know and they're furiously Googling, but maybe they're driving, they shouldn't be furiously Googling. The C9 is the Council of Cardinals, a kind of kitchen cabinet institution established by Pope Francis as an advisory body for him, a presbyteral council of of cardinals, if you will, in, in a certain way, um, or a pastoral council of cardinals, if you will, in a certain way. Yes. Uh, a non-deliberative body that offers the Pope regular that it was established to offer the Pope sort of regular advice and the governance of the universal church. It doesn't have authority over anything. It's purely consultative. And the Pope has kind of gone back and forth over the years, as we have written about and talked about, in terms of how much he actually uses it. But that's the idea, is that Francis said, I need a, a cadre of cardinals to be my kind of, my guys. It was it was meant to help him sort of give him a, an ongoing sort of, as you say, global kitchen cabinet to refer to, but also its primary purpose when it was erected was to shepherd through the project for a new constitution for the Roman Curia, which we yeah. got last right. year with Praetor Cate Evangelium. 
So, but he's, the thing is obviously kept up and Pope Francis could, I mean, so ground rules first for this mock draft, the, the Council of Cardinal Advisors properly called, uh, it's often referred to as the C9, but it has been at different times, the C7, it's been the C6, mm-hmm. just as people have come off and on. And so, but are we happy that nine is the magic number we're going for? That nine uh, is its proper constitution? Well, you know, that's a great question. So Francis has this body, again, which initially worked to help create Predicate Evangelium, the the, the uh, revised constitution for the Roman Curia, but functions broadly to assist the Pope in the governance of the universal church is the way I think the Holy See talks about it now. Um, and, uh, and nine, I'll be honest, in this game, each of us, I suppose, is pontiff. Nine feels to me like it would be a lot, a lot of members. I mean, can't, how much substantive discussion are 10 people having over issues where everyone's voice is being heard? Is it too many people? Well, it's actually more than, more than 10. Um, because of course, if, if you're talking about 10 being, the nine cardinals plus the pope. There's also a secretary. There's also, yeah, right. But uh, one presumes that the secretary is, is effectively organizing the meetings and taking the minutes and not a substantive contributor. Don't don't you? Um, I, I will double check who the current one is, but it's usually, I think, the sostituto. And I have never yet known a sostituto who didn't weigh in on absolutely everything that was going on in whatever room they were in. Um, you can tell that we did a lot of... Uh, well, I prepared my list... Uh, the you current secretary of the Council already. of Cardinal Advisors. Of course. Um, and I've got a couple of alternates just in case you pick one of mine. Oh, we uh, can't Advisor. pick. We can't pick. I, I can't wait to hear the rules of this. Well, you keep interrupting me. so. I do not. So. Um, the current secretary let's say it's Bishop, nine. is Bishop Marco Molina, who is yes. not the substitute. Uh, not the substitute. Although I think at one point Cardinal Paroline was acting as, this, as a right. secretary. Yeah. But was not properly speaking, even though he was a cardinal, he wasn't on it. And anyway, this is not the point. We're picking cardinal members. We're we're saying nine is the number. Um, you, it, this is a draft. So if I pick them, you can't have them. These are rival cabinets, and we're gonna at the end. People are going to say who's got the better I... cabinet. This is a competition, JD. This isn't a bit of fun. <laughs> I hadn't realized that that our picks would be. I thought we would discuss sort of who got picked at each place as if you and I were the co-managers of the team. I didn't realize that we, you you were creating a parallel. That I was in this scenario. The no 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 no. We're doing this versus one another. There will be a winner and a loser. I hadn't realized. Well, I I don't know what would ever have led you not to believe that that's exactly what was coming here. But okay, that, so, that's what's happening. Okay, so the C nine established so, by Pope Francis in two thousand thirteen. What are some of its what I mean? Just walk our listeners through some of the major things which it has sort of done. You wrote, I think, a nice analysis last December called What is the Council of Cardinals for anymore that sort of lamented or noticed that the Pope seemed to be slowing down his use of it. But what have been some of the things where the Council of Cardinals has been uh, effective or important to the pontiff in, in, his, in the, his, his governance? The, the Council of Cardinals, I, I think, has really, it's a, it's a two-way door and amplifier or concentrate. It's a telescope. You can either look in one end and it concentrates things, or you can look at another and it sort of, you know, gives you a wide angle view. And and I think that's its primary function. So for, for the Pope, I think on a sort of rolling basis, and this is taking away the the established primary function of creating Predicate Evangelium, which has already happened. Um, I think what it does is it allows the Pope to be in a room and have a sort of wide angle lens on the world, that these guys are from all over the place. That's usually how he 
seems to pick them as they seem to be reasonably geographically dispersed. Although again, there's no rules. Um, you know, he can pick who he likes. It's it's a, something he just created, so it suits his purposes. Um, but I think it gives him a sort of wide angle window on the world, uh, a sort of, you know, in the room brain trust of guys from all over different parts of the world with vastly different experience that he can tap into and bad ideas around. And at the same time, it allows him a sort of uh, quick call list to bring guys in and to sort of focus the the experience of the world into a particular problem in Rome. So, for example, doing things like preparing for that summit of world bishops uh, that he had after the McCarrick scandal and the Chilean bishop scandal in 2018-2019, which led to the drafting of and promulgation of Vosestis Lux Mundi, things like that. So I think it, it it it's about the Pope being able to bring the world to Rome and concentrate on an issue there, or if he wants to reverse it, give him a wide-angle view out from Rome on everything that's going on in the world. That is how I perceive its sort of twin functions to be. Although I would say... You know, you referenced the thing I wrote a couple of months ago about what's the Council of Cardinal Advisors for anymore. I wasn't so much lamenting that the Pope wasn't using it as I was, was kind of being a little snarky and saying, this is this is kind of a boondoggle now that Predicati Evangelium's out there. Like, what's the point of this thing anymore, especially with the synod and synodality going and everything else? And, you know, I, again, it's it's a thing created by the Pope. He can uncreate it tomorrow if he fancies it, or he can use it for whatever he wants. And I, I think in for the purposes of our draft here today, J.D., you can you can have your council of cardinal advisors for whatever reason you want, and you can make your picks accordingly. Okay, um, I think that's important to know, and I think we should talk about that. What we what function we <laughs> in our sort of um, in our sort of imagined papacies? What function if we're going to draft these guys? I mean, you, you created the rules for this. I don't want to take over your thing, but I, I think it does seem important that we might talk a little bit about how how we would use this thing if we're going to draft for ourselves. No, I would numbers. agree. No, the rules themselves are simple. We will we will pick one and one back and forth, and I will very graciously give you the first pick in a moment. Um, the only arbitrary rule here, apart from you pick one at a time and you have to pick nine in total, and you can't pick someone who's being picked, uh, is this. I think it would be helpful for the purposes of getting to know the, the college at large um, if we said, but you have to have 30% of your picks, that is three of your nine, you have to have one third of your picks, coming from the new batch of cardinals who will be created in September. Okay, so that's an important question because I think there would might be people who would ask is it even is it even allowed to pick such figures? Well, of course it is because the Council of Cardinal Advisors is a product of merely ecclesiastical law and you are the hypothetical pope in the picking of this. You can do whatever you like. Okay. I I have not um let us assume, for the sake of argument, the first meeting of your Council of Cardinal Advisors will take place on the last day of the consistory to take place in September, at which the new batch of cardinals will be created. And everyone who currently has the job is dismissed. Yes. Um, and now, there's let a bit us, of for the sake of here, because I, there are people who I want to pick who are deep tracks, I think, who are not going to be on your list. Good. Well, that's fun. The only thing I would say is no over 80s. You got to be eligible for a conclave. Okay, that's fine. So three of them have to be in the new batch, nobody over 80, and you, you're building up your list of nine cardinal advisors to help you in your governance of the theoretical universal church. First pick to you, J.D. Flynn, go. Well, let me just say this at first. Um, one of the issues, I, I'm going to shoot for, I'm going to shoot for some regional variability here. I'm, I'm going to shoot for I'm going to shoot to reach various parts of the church um, because I think that's important for what I want to do with my th with my college of, of cardinals. Excuse me, with my council of cardinals. Um, 
But one of the issues that I think should be pointed out right now is the lacuna of cardinals existing right now from Oceana. Because while I'm looking for what you might call continental variety, I, I'm somewhat stymied by the fact that uh, I can't have anybody from Oceania. And so I think that should just be said that we... By, the, by Oceania, do you mean Australia and New Zealand? Uh, yeah. Would you like me to call it Australia? Austri- would you like me to call it... Z- no, I, knew, I don't know what else to call it. The colonies? No, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to call it that. Um, but you can see how I run into this issue. So, so for me, that is, um, that's just a lacuna that I think should be called out right away. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's no one in the available pool, um, from, from either Australia, uh, and, and hasn't been, I think there hasn't been, I mean, the last Australian Cardinal to be named was in fact, was Cardinal Pell. And that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So that should just be named as an issue. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. I get the first pick, eh? Go for it. Now there's a little bit of gamesmanship here. And, and the reason there's a little bit of gamesmanship here is because I, I not only have to think about who I want, but some of my guys are deep tracks, and I know they're not. I don't think they're going to be on your list. Uh, and so I, and so I, I, I not only need to think about sort of who I want the most, but who I think you're going to choose. And uh, for that reason, that I'm not going to start with. Um, I'm not going to start with a new cardinal. Uh, I bet you can guess who I'm going to start with. Um, but I'm going to start now. I can have them until they're 80, right? Yeah. Okay. Then my first draft pick for the 2023 C9 Mock Draft Pillar Podcast Edition, coming to you from the mean streets of Yangon, Charles Mangbo. The Archbishop oh, of Yangon. He's absolutely on my list. Of course he is. President of the Federation of Asian Bishops Conferences. I think probably president of the Mine Marie's Bishops Conference. Uh, and uh, and really a leader of the church in Asia. Um, I mean, travel's going to be an issue for him, obviously. Travel's going to be an issue for him because he lives in a despotic regime. He lives uh, in a despotic regime in Burma. Um, he does. But that's why all cardinal electors have diplomatic passports, is so it's they can get true. It out of It's true. It's also for me a plus. Part of what I enjoy doing with the C9 is poking the bear. Like, for example, I, I've told you before that one of my pectori cardinals would be Bishop Rolando Alvarez of Nicaragua, who is in- incarcerated. Uh, obviously, I can't put him on my C9 because he's not a cardinal. Uh, and although in this game I have the ability to make a C9, I don't have the ability to make cardinals. Uh, but I don't mind sort of pricking the government by picking Cardinal Bo. What do you think of Cardinal Bo as a pick, Ed? Are we, is, are, is that- I, he was on my list. I had him, I mean, the, the list I had drawn up, I had drawn up in much like you, an order in which I thought I want to grab him before they go. And so he was, uh, he was going to be, uh, one, two, three, four. He was going to be my number five pick. Okay. Um, so just a little I, bit about him, uh, for those of you who are curious, Cardinal Bo, who also is on my list. I mean, part of what we're doing here, let's be honest, part of what we're doing here is talking a little bit about our conclave projections. And Cardinal Bo, for me, I mean, don't you think that there's a subtext of conclave pr- projection here? Uh, it would be fair to say that I don't think anyone on my list Apart from your, you're saying Bo, and I don't have him down as particularly popular. I think he'll be a big mover and shaker in a future conclave, but I don't think he's popular. I think there's only one person on my list who you would consider to be. Most people would consider to be. I consider Bo to be to be a a, a relatively um, 
look, Bo is not making a lot of people's lists, but I think a lot of people's lists are wrong. You know, everybody says I Peter would agree Edwards, with that. Maybe the Bo, Bo, these kind of things. I don't. I think Bo is a relatively strong consensus candidate because a lot of people respect him. He, uh, a Salesian. He's very strong on the issue of China. Very strong on the issue of China, which I think a lot of uh, a, a lot of people are looking for strength on that. But also, you know, he he has been around long enough. He's seventy four. He's a little bit older than many of the Cardinals uh, that are you know that will be on my list. But he has been around such that it was JP two who put him on the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue. It was Pontifical. It was JP two who made him Archbishop of Yangon. It was Benedict the sixteenth who made him a member of the Pontifical Council for Culture. But it was Francis who made him a Cardinal. So he kind of has. In, a, in an era of division, different kinds, he kind of has connection to both the sort of JP2 Benedict Consortium and the um, Francis Consortium. And I would say this about Cardinal Bo, based upon we've had the opportunity to interview him, and I've read and heard many other interviews with him and conversations and stuff. Cardinal Bo, it occurs to me at the moment now, um, you know, we may do some journalistic thing and discover otherwise, but Cardinal Bo, it seems to me, has a zeal for souls seems to hold the divine and Catholic faith with fervor, desire to be a saint, and be serious about the proclamation of the gospel. So, I mean, I just, um, this is not why I think he's probably by any stretch of the imagination, but it is why he was towards the top of my list, is because he he strikes me as someone who really is um, living the, the, the Christian life. Interesting. Yeah, under extremely adverse circumstances. Well, he certainly is that, yes. Um, well, again, I, I can't fault the pick. As I say, he was very much on my list, so I understand why you wanted to grab him. Um, well done. Uh, okay, I think for my pick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raid the cabinet on the newbies first. Um, so, yeah, my first, I'm going to go with the Lynx of Lodz. I'm going to go with Cardinal Riche. Oh, he was on my list. He was on my list, and I can't have him. Tell the people why you chose him. So, Cardinal Gregory uh I'm gonna I'm gonna murder. I think it's Rish is how it's pronounced. Uh, he's Polish, of course, and um, he's one of the new batch that uh, that Pope Francis named uh, earlier this month. And he is the Archbishop of Wuj. I think Wuj is how it's pronounced. I'd just look at it and say Lodz, but you know, I, don't I would say Lodz too. But I'm sure that that would be wrong. It's I think Wuj is is how it's properly pronounced in Polish. Yes. And I think he's a fascinating pick. I think you want a poll in your C9. My C9 my is my C9 is definitely I'm going for the global perspective. I want this to be my when I want to talk to Europe, who do I call? When I want That's to talk exactly to the what Far I'm East. Looking for is, who's my yeah. guy in these places? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Uh, you know, so so Cardinal Cardinal to be Archbishop Reich. I, I think he's a he's an easy pick. He's a young guy. He's only what is he in his fifties? I I think he yeah he's fifty nine. Um, but he's he's an interesting guy. Paul, the the church in Poland is it's one of the ones that I think gets stereotyped a lot. Like everyone yeah. thinks it's just one thing, yeah. and they think every Polish bishop is just one thing, yeah. and it's totally not true. And I know a lot of people who when Cardinal to be. Um, Archbishop Reich was named by Pope Francis. They said, oh, well, so, you know, Pope Francis has clearly found the one, you know, progressive liberal in Poland. It's like, eh, you didn't read his bio. Um, you know, this guy, he's, I think he's what most people call a son of JP2. 
Uh, right. I think not just right. in the sense that he's a Polish archbishop, but in the sense that that's what his spirituality is formed by. Uh, you know, I'd call him a I'd call him a World Youth Day bishop is what I would call. You know, that's my read of him. He's he goes hard in the paint on evangelization, the re-evangelization of Europe. He's opened seminaries. He's really good at doing um, and encouraging youth catechesis. He's big in with the with the new movements. He's he's the he's that wonderful for me blend of he's that t- rare talents that you're looking for, JD, uh, of skill and natural gift where he's coming from the old school of JP2 Catholicism, but he's young. He's got a lot of playing years left in him. Um, he's my number one pick. You picked him, yeah. And clearly. he also fills my, he fills one of my three slots for the new guys. Yeah, you, you, you good job. I'm, that's a good pick. That's a very good pick. I, all I can say is he was on my list. You know, you got him. You got him. Papa Bile, do you think? He's still, for, he's very young. He's written a lot. I don't think his Polishness is a liability. You know, like, I think people could say we had a Polish Pope, but I actually don't think that nationality is a sort of major consideration. Like, regional representation is a kind of major consideration in conclaves. No. Like, I don't think that cardinals no, are actually I don't think anybody about really that. thinks that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the sort of thing they worry about at AP. That's not the sort of yeah, thing that's they exactly, worry about. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'd put him in the second or third tier. I mean, he has some notoriety, especially now that he's being talked about at the pillar and everything. But I, I, I mean, he's, I certainly wouldn't call him a front runner, at least not yet. I don't think he is either. I, I would say his chances of being elected pope were exactly the same as Carol Whitea's going into the conclave. Okay, fair enough. Dark horse, but Depending interesting. Depending on how you read the machinations of Providence, I think Carl Wojtyla had a 100% chance of being elected Pope when he went in the conclave, seeing as how he, I'm kidding. Yeah, but you're okay. way, way more deterministic about these things than I am. The Holy Spirit, no, the Holy I, Spirit I believe in the permissive Pope. will of the Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. okay, so your second pick, go for it. Now, this, I'm going for a new guy here, and I mm-hmm. don't need, I don't think I need to pick this guy so soon because I don't know if he's on your radar or not. He should be, though. Okay. But one of the new ones, Pope, the Pope just announced him to be a cardinal, so right now he is the co-adjutor Archbishop of Tabora, Cardinal-elect Protase Rugumpa of Tanzania. Tanzania. Ooh, tell me. Tell me why. Do you know him? No. Was he on your list? No, he's not on my <laughs> list. I picked him too soon. I picked him too early. This, this, is, this is why we want to do this competitively, is it adds a whole yeah, other... Yeah, no, I totally see it. I'm so happy to have him on my C9, but I, I could have kept him for a later could round, and I can't believe I didn't. Yeah, when you okay. get down to the when you get down to my bottom four picks, it's gonna be you know, it, yeah, it's guys that like I've got these in my pocket. JD's not picking them. I, I but you gave this out more than I did, right? Because I had not I had not realized it was a versus. I am and so nothing I just thought about if not petty and like, competitive. Yeah, I mean, so I'm my game my gamesmanship is not right. Otherwise, I mean, I've got guys who I think are probably on your list. Well, I'm so happy to have Archbishop Protasi Ragamba on my C nine. Uh, a, a cardinal designate, a cardinal elect, as we say, a card- the coadjutor, a bishop of Tabor. And this is a guy, Ed, with a really interesting biography. I, I don't know if you know very much about him. But, I do not. Please tell me all. Uh, Tanzanian priest, um, sem- some seminary experience. He was VG of his diocese. And then he worked at Prop Fide uh, for a couple of years and then was appointed back to Tanzania. So seminary ministry, diocesan administration, working in the Roman Curia, back to the diocese. Benedict makes him in 2008 the bishop of Kigoma, Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does that really well for four years, so Benedict makes him an adjunct secretary of Prop Fide. He comes back to Rome. He's president of the Pontifical Mission Societies, which, as you know, is an important job. He does this job for 
several years uh, until Benedict makes him the coadjutor bishop, excuse me, until Francis makes him the coadjutor bishop of Tabora in 2023. Um, I think he is, just has this really interesting sort of back and forth experience between Tanzania and um, Rome. I would like to have someone who can sort of represent um, uh, East Africa for me, and he can not only do that, but also understand sort of what's going on in r- some really important parts of the Roman Curia, including Propfide, which is an important, um, you know, which is an important um, dicastery and one that can sort of beca- seem like a bit of a black box to the Pope. So for me, he checks a lot of boxes. I like that. That's a good pick. Yeah. That's solid. I-, I think he's a pick that I'm happy to have. All right. And he's only 63, so he's got this long resume, but... He's only 63, and so he's got some energy. He's, he's, um, he's a, a catechist, and I just think somebody worth, worth having. Fair enough. Um, okay, so my second pick, uh, who may or may not be on your list, you're certainly aware of him, he's certainly on your radar, and I don't think me picking him is going to surprise you even slightly, uh, is I'm going to go with Bishop, soon-to-be Cardinal Stephen Chow, SJ, of the Diocese of Hong Kong. Doesn't surprise me, wasn't on my list. Um, it's, so I, I think I've said on the show before, I don't think on, on many matters of ecclesiology or even, um, necessarily theology, I would agree with everything that Bishop Chow thinks. I certainly don't agree with everything he said on such things, but if you're going to be Pope, you're going to have to deal with China. And, um, I, I think it's pretty clear that the Holy See is in a, a trap, dare I say a finger trap, um, with the current diplomatic deal with the People's Republic of China. The situation on the mainland is, from an ecclesiological perspective, catastrophic at this point. Uh, the government, uh, the Chinese government, are setting up fake dioceses and persuading real and validly and licitly ordained and installed bishops to desert their sees, to take up auxiliary positions in their fake dioceses. They are continuing to name and consecrate bishops uh, basically at will without any reference to the Holy See whatsoever, and getting to a new settlement with China, whatever that looks like, whether it is making some version of the Vatican-China deal that works, which I don't know if such a thing exists, or basically accepting that the church in China is going to be persecuted if it's going to be in union with Rome, and identifying ways to ensure and provide for the pastoral care of Chinese Catholics, um, that's all going to be a thing. And also, Hong Kong is a very important geopolitical flashpoint in the world right now. And the Diocese of Hong Kong is really the, I mean, it is the inflection point for a lot of what is going to go on with the church in China. Also, um, how the church relates to issues of civil liberty and things like that uh, in the Diocese of Hong Kong proper. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to deal with all of that. And and I've said before, and I continue to say it, I may not agree with everything in his ecclesiology or his theology, but Bishop Chow seems to be able to understand how to talk to and work with Beijing. Um, not to say he just goes along with and agrees and knuckles under, on the contrary. But he, he can walk the line and you need, I'm not saying you, you do what he says, but his is advice I want in my cabinet. So I'm picking him. Okay. I, I hear you. I think that's important and it makes sense. And it actually, it's a good, probably a good segue into a pick that I think might surprise you. But to me, okay. seems crucial for my C9. My next pick in the third round of the 2023 C9 mock draft uh, 
is a, is a, a, a little fellow named Victor Manuel Fernandez. You might be familiar with him. He's the new prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. And You're Ed, was he on your list? I'm picking him. And I'll oh, tell you why, but was, hey. was, I'm taking it. He wasn't on your list. No, no, he was not on my list. Um, for uh, Not perhaps for the reason that you imagined, but um, I had a, I'm not picking any Curiel, I'll just tip my hand a little bit here. I'm not picking any Curiel Cardinals because they're in Rome all the time anyway. They're not, they're not, I, I can see them any, any given He's Thursday. He's the only Curiel Cardinal on my list. And I'll tell you why I pick him. First of all, again, I can pick members of the C9. I can't pick the prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. So while he might not have been my choice, he might have been, but while he might not have been my choice for the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, he is indeed the prefect for the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. Ed, I want him busy. I want Cardinal Fernandez occupied with the work of the C9 as much as is possible. I think he may be the committee organizer for various special projects of the C9. I think he may organize the C9 Christmas party, our annual Halloween extravaganza. I want him occupied on these projects because I want him to succeed in Rome in as much as he's the prefect for the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. And idle hands, Ed, can become a problematic plaything. And so my hope is to have Cardinal-elect Victor Fernandez busy. I think that's important. You'd like to and keep him close is what you're saying. I'd like to keep him occupied. And I would like to know what he's thinking. And I think he's an interesting thinker. I, I've said it before. I said I'm not optimistic. We've gotten a lot of feedback to our conversation last week about theology. I think we could have a set, another conversation about why we don't have any great theologians anymore. And if Cardinal Fernandez is right and all of these things, because we've gotten a lot of feedback. But for the moment, I would say I do think he's an interesting thinker. You and I were both glad to know that he's smart. Mm -hmm. We have said before, we're very edified to learn that he's smart because we think that being smart is better than the alternative sometimes. Um, but I would like to know what he's up to. And again, if organizing the annual C9 and Friends ski trip becomes something of a boondoggle, and he is occupied with that, I'll have empathy for him, but I'd like to make sure it's in his competent hands. Plus, he's one of my newbies. Fair enough. Pick um, three for me, Victor Manuel Fernandez. All right. Well, that's I did not see that pick coming. He was not on my list. Um, I can't believe you. You know how I work. I can't believe I you do. didn't see that pick. I do. I should, have, I should have seen that you were going to go with that. All right. Well, I, then... Um, just so I can get to fishing in the deep end of the pool faster, I'll I'll get rid of my third newbie pick right away, and I am going with uh, the soon-to-be cardinal, current and future patriarch of Jerusalem of the Latins, mm -hmm. Pierre Battista Pizzaballa. Pizzaballa. I will be having Good him, choice. please. Um, I I you know I think that. Theologically and ecumenically, there is no more interreligious relationship that is more important than between the church and the Jewish people. I think that the situation in the Middle East around Israel and Palestine and the neighboring countries is a perennial flashpoint. It is always a situation that is nuanced, it is complicated, it is very often violent, it is always emotive, 
And it is a situation that the Pope needs to be able to speak to and into at any given moment because he's going to be asked. And if you're going to do that, you need to know what's going on. You need your men on the ground. And um, Patriarch Pizzaballa has been there for quite some time. He is pretty well respected on the ground there. I don't mind telling you, I know more than a few priests in the Holy Land. And they all speak very highly of him. They say this is a guy who, I, I mean, it's... It, in it, in, yes, it would be true to say he gets along with people, but that's the wrong way of saying it, I think, is when you say someone gets along with everyone, it makes it sound like, oh, he's just kind of chummy and, you know, he's an offensive. Yeah, yeah, he's a backslapper he's not or whatever, whatever. He is yeah. not a backslapper. I mean, this guy okay. is, you read his public statements. No, he's, he's, he's a person of depth. He's a person of depth, but he's also got an edge to him. Like, this is a guy who said, when he thinks something is wrong and he thinks somebody has done something is out of line, he is not shy about saying it. He's been very strong on anti-Christian violence in the state of Israel, and he's not been shy about confronting the government on that sort of thing. Um, this guy's a real cat, and I want him on my team. Okay. Where we are right now after three rounds is that JD has got Cardinal Bo, Cardinal Rigamba, Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, and Ed has got Cardinal Risk, Cardinal Chow, and Cardinal Pizzaballa. We're going to do one more round, and then it's going to be time for us to take a break. All right. Your fourth pick, please. I'd like to give you, I'd like to let, I mean, you know, can I let you go first in this no, round? No, I'm going no, that completely messes up the dynamic. It is, don't monkey with the rules. It's your pick. Okay. Peter Ocapole. I was on the fence. I've got a few other choices. Wow. But Peter Ocapole is my, is my fourth round pick. Wow. Okay. Did not see that coming. Really? No, I didn't. I did. I did not. If you listen to me talk constantly about the fact that the president of the church is in Nigeria, you would know that Peter Ocapoli is a figure who has interested me. I didn't. I, you you had come out of the gate saying that you wanted a global perspective, so I didn't know I've how deep it. you were going to go on on African cardinals. I you know you just I've got it. You came out of the gate with Tanzania. I thought that you know you'd be further down the list if you were going for a second African cardinal. That's all. This is an int- Peter Cardinal Peter Ocapoli is an interesting figure to me. He is, uh, as you know, Ed, um, presently the bishop of Iqualobia. Um, but Iqualobia is not the diocese where uh, we might have expected him to be. Isn't that right? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah, because on December seventh, two thousand twelve, Benedict the sixteenth appointed uh, Father Ocalobe, uh to be the bishop of Ahira, Nigeria. He was consecrated a bishop, but um, there was a lot of objection to his appointment as a bishop because of this issue, which I brought up on the show before, of tribalism. He was not Mbazi, um, and people who were of the Mbazi—we talked about this with regard to the New South Sudanese cardinal, and we had the same thing in Nigeria—the Mbazi people who made up the majority of the Catholics in the Diocese of Ahiri objected uh, to the fact that they had made Bishop Okapole their bishop. There was a lot of— um, controversy over this, and uh, it took Pope Francis really cracking down on the clergy to tell them that they had to accept Bishop Obelike as their bishop, or else they would be suspended, and there was back and forth, and um, they saw this as a kind of discrimination, and it got to the heart of this issue of tribalism, um, so much so that in 2018, the bishop resigned uh, as, bishop of, as Bishop of Ahiri, and then the Pope made him the Bishop of Equilobia. Um, and so he has this very interesting history at the heart of a crucial, critical, important to understand issue in a, in a part of the church that is not only sort of growing for the future, but is at the heart of the, the, the youth of, of the church right now. Because look, I mean, when you have a Nigerian on the C9, he's not only sort of representing the ecclesiastical milieu of Nigeria, 
um, you have to recognize that Nigerian clergy are the contemporary missionaries of the West. If you're a listener to the show in the United States, either your parish has or a neighboring parish has or a neighboring parish has um, a, a Nigerian parochial vicar or pastor in Europe that is even more pronounced that um, Nigerian priests have become um, missionaries uh, to, to do parish work in, in many, many parts of Europe with declining clergy numbers. That will continue. We've run the numbers on this, and we can see how the vocations are climbing, and that will continue and all of that, and that's relevant. There is one thing that made me uh, reticent to pick to pick Cardinal uh, Okapali, uh, which I am mispronouncing every single time I pronounce it, but there is one thing that made me reticent to pronounce it. Do you know what it is, Ed? Oh, excuse me. No, it's Do you know what it is? He's a canonist, and I wanted a canonist, but... I also want a canonist, and I have some on my list who will hopefully... He's a canonist, and I wanted a canonist, but he went to Santa Croce. And I, as a COA grad, look, there are rivalries among canon lawyers with regard to the schools at which they studied, and I, as a COA grad, regard sort of... uh, have a sort of rivalry with the canonists of Santa Croce. Do you know him actually do practice? Yes. They're all theoreticians. Now, I have a few friends who are JVs or Vicar General who went to Santa Croce and are very good canonists, um, you know, so it does happen, and I'm going to count on the fact that um, His Eminence is one of them, but it was, for me, I would have preferred to pick a COA grad, since that's where I went, my beloved alma mater, uh, is the School of Canon Law, but um, nevertheless, I'm glad to have a canonist on the list. I, I'm impressed. It's a good pick. That's that's a solid pick. Again, I I didn't expect out of the gate that you would have... Um, two of your first four picks be from Africa. Oh, I just just as a simple matter of trying to cover the whole board as you're going down the list and in the rivalry for picks. But that's great because it means you definitely don't have one of my picks later on, which I'm very happy about because he's one of my. Why not? It just seems unlikely to me, but I could be wrong. You think I'm? You think I'm done with the part of the church that's growing the most right now? Not necessarily, but I'm just I, I'm feeling increasingly confident because of the other African cardinals that are on the board that I think you would probably go to first. I think my guy is slipping down and down um, of where you're going to look. At least I'm hoping, but we'll see. If you end up stealing okay. him out from underneath, I might pick him now just to screw you. Well, now, oh, now you've got me freaking out. I'm like, having to revisit I think my you're order. Stephen Brislin. I think you've got Stephen Brislin on your list. I might pick him just to screw with you. No, it's my pick now. Um, but I'm. Um, I could see you picking Turkson. I mean, I could see you picking Turkson. No, I'm sticking with my plan. I'm not going to be thrown off by you. I've got my three <laughs> newbies already picked and out of the way. I've, you do have your three newbies already picked, but I could see you picking Turkson right about now. No, I'm going for for my fourth pick uh, before the halftime break. My fourth pick, I am going for Luis Rafael Cardinal Seiko, Patriarch of the Chaldeans. Oh! You will have no one better placed to talk about a witness of a church in a suffering situation. No one better... Certainly not more than my Nigerian Cardinal, right? Uh... Christians in Iraq ain't having a really great Christians time. Christians in Iraq are, are suffering. And they've been having terrific. a pretty crappy time for a, a millennia or more now. Um, That's true. Cardinal Seiko just got boosted out. I mean, he had his recognition he as head of the church situation. in yes. Iraq, mm-hmm. denied by the secular government there. Um, he has had to effectively, as I can tell, flee Baghdad, where his see has been for pretty much since Christ. I mean, not exactly that, but I mean, the, the history of the church in Iraq— um, is is a fascinating and beautiful history. 
that really is, I mean, it, it reads, I mean, it's compelling. If you, if anyone's not familiar with the history of the church in Iraq, uh, Cardinal Filoni, who was JP2's special envoy to Iraq uh, for many years, especially right around the time of the Iraqi war, um, and was then head of uh, Propaganda Fide for a number of years as a cardinal, wrote an excellent history of the church in Iraq, which I translated, in fact, into English, if you want to read it. Um, I would recommend that book wholeheartedly. It's not self-interested. I don't get points on that. I was just the translator. So, you know, I don't get royalties or anything like that. But that's a great book. I am having Cardinal Seiko. I want the the voice of um, the church in Iraq. I want his personal experience. I want his wisdom. I want his diplomacy. I want his character. Um, but also, J.D., I want I want Eastern Church's sui juris in my in my C9. Yeah, well, this is an issue, though. Yes, you want Eastern Church's sui juris. I'm glad you do. But that's a bit of an issue because we don't... Um, like, I would have liked to have picked, for example, if I had my druthers, I would have picked already the major archbishop of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, Archbishop Shevchuk, because I think he's been a fascinating witness over the past couple of years and um, has demonstrated, like, a really sort of... Um, deep faith and and, mm-hmm. and love for the church and these things. Uh, but he's not a cardinal, right? So um, Seiko is one of the few choices that... You, now, I'm not saying he's not a good choice in his own right, right? I'm just breaking it down that I'm saying if you were looking for a representative pick, he's one of the few that you've got. So, okay, good pick. I mean, fair enough. Yep. Okay. So uh, with that, okay. we, we, are, we are ringing the bell for half time, and... Okay, let's just break it down. Where we are right now, my team, Bo, Rugumba... Fernandez, Okapaliki. I've got Rish, I've got Chow, I've got Pizza Bola, I've got Seiko. You still have one more new batch to pick, though. It's true. We'll see when I pick him. We'll be right back. This week's episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to us by the Seton Home Study School. The Seton Home Study School incorporates the Catholic faith into everything they do. That is one of their defining features. Longtime friends of the show, they are also longtime providers of education to many members of my own family, the children of many of my friends. Many of those friends, in fact, are teachers, teachers in some cases in Catholic schools who nevertheless use Seton, both in their school, in their classrooms, and at home to homeschool their children. Seton Home Study School is an accredited Catholic school that aims to help parents be successful teaching at home. They give you detailed daily lesson plans and academic counselors standing by to answer your questions. Um, but listen, it's not just that they make it possible if you don't think it's possible to homeschool to homeschool. If it, Look, it's July 27th. It is possible that right now your family's planning to homeschool and you're a little bit something like mine and you're starting to think, we got to start thinking about our curriculum. We got to start thinking what we're going to teach. Seton makes it possible. They give you the things that you're going to be looking for. They have a deeply Catholic curriculum where the Catholicism runs through all of the courses. It's not just sort of a public school curriculum with um, with a theology class. It is they do uh, Catholic the faith math. running through... They do Catholic math. It is the faith running through everything. And if you're on the fence between homeschooling and Seton, consider this. Seton is an accredited school, um, but Seton's tuition is a fraction of what most other Catholic schools are, and that makes Catholic education available in every corner of the country. So if you're not sure whether you can afford Catholic school, you could give Seton a try. If there's no Catholic school in your area, you could give Seton a try. Um, Seton is a nonprofit which does everything possible to reduce costs and keep tuition low and affordable while trying to make it possible for your family to get an authentic Catholic education. Ed, what do we want people to do? We want them to check out their website. We want them to go to seatonhome.org. We want them to watch. They have an introductory video there that can tell you everything you want to know, see if you're interested, see if the fit is right for you. There is a, They can sign up for a beginner's guide to Seton. And look, if you just want to dip your toe in the water, they do single course enrollments. So you can take, you know, just one class, not an entire program. 
And, you know, you might want... With your kid. With your kid. You might say, hey, we're going to do a high school class in theology on something like understanding the scriptures or the early church and the fathers, you know, that sort of thing. And this is, I, I think that's a great thing because ongoing formation in the faith, continuing our Catholic education is part of being a Catholic. It never stops. I'm even going to throw this out there. Um, we talked recently with a bishop who said that priests should be the protagonist of their own ongoing formation. It may be the case that you want to do a little study course, uh, even for your own intellectual edification on Scripture or the Fathers or some area in which you were not paying attention at seminary, and Seton is a great jumping-off point. So Seton can be for everybody, and here's what here's the deal. We love Seton, and Seton loves us. We would love it if you would go to setonhome.org and just... Uh, Sign up for that beginner's guide to Seton and check off that you heard about Seton from JD and Ed at the Pillar Podcast so that they keep coming back. You can watch that video and that'll keep uh, the Pillar Podcast going and it'll tell you a lot about whether Seton might be right for you or your family. Setonhome.org. Do it. And we're back with the 2023 C9 Council of Cardinals fantasy draft. Or sorry, mock draft. You prefer mock. You have issues about. Mock trial. Mock trial. Sorry, I was thinking about mock trial. That's fine. Um, All right. So we're into into the fifth round now. We are. We should have broken for the break, actually. We should have let you pick your your fifth and then broken before I picked mine, because then we'd have been exactly halfway through. That was a mistake. We would have, but I wanted the break. I kind of called for the break because I I needed some time on the clock. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I... I've got some names bouncing around my head, but again, I'm trying to game out who you're going to pick. I neither of us. So just just if you're playing along at home, I have two cardinals from the continent of Africa, one cardinal from South America, and one cardinal from Asia. Ed has. I've got an Italian, a Chinese, a Pole, and an Iraqi. So an Iraqi and a Hong Konger. So two cardinals from Asia, um, a European, and two Europeans. So you have you have effectively a Eurocentric. C9, if you will. I have a Eurocentric C9 because I have someone from Hong Kong, someone from Poland, someone from Jerusalem, and someone from you have Baghdad. More, you, you have one more, you're, you're one more European than I do, so I'm calling you, I'm going to call it your Eurocentric. I Eurocentric thought you were going to give me more credit for Pizza Bala because I also ticked the Italian box with that guy. Pizza Bala was a good pick. No, Pizza Bala was a good pick. You know, I'm going to the Holy Land in October, and uh, I'm really hoping to have some time, perhaps to have a pizza with Pizza Bala. There is somebody you should talk to uh, while you're there whose name I will give you when we are not recording because, you know. Yeah, right. You yeah. don't okay, do that. Great. Um, okay. So your fifth pick. Let's go. There's a number of folks that I want, but now it's getting down to choices and neither of us is – I feel like I should put a North American on the board. Danny DiNardo. Danny DiNardo. Do it. One for put one down for Donardo. All right, Cardinal Donardo, past president of the U.S. Bishops Conference, a patristic scholar, a man of faith, Archbishop of Houston. If anyone's playing Archbishop of Houston, Galveston, almost seventy-five, I think. So I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he's seventy-four. He's, again, I one of my, yeah, so he's one of my older picks. Um, but I think Cardinal Donardo. You know, he's not. He was the president of the Bishops' Conference during 2018. He tried to shepherd through a plan that the bishops had come up with to address the sort of McCarrick and ensuing scandals, uh, that which was, was shut what down I was by the Holy See. Thank goodness, I, because neither you nor I like the ecclesiology of that particular plan. We did not like the plan, though we have our criticisms of Vosestis Lex Mundi. For sure. But our criticisms but of Vosestis Lex Mundi are as law and how it is drafted, not its underlying ecclesiology. 
But what I appreciated about Cardinal DiNardo in the 2018 meeting in which the Holy See shut down the bishops from voting on the thing was his candor. He, 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 he played it was, really, really well. But he was ticked, and you knew he was ticked. He, there was no BS there. There was no message management. Cardinal DiNardo didn't say, you know, brothers, or you know, media. He didn't call an executive session to say the Holy See won't let us vote on this. He, he went to the microphone, and he said, brothers, the Holy See has told us we can't vote on this, so we're not going to vote on this. And he was ticked, but first of all, he was obedient. You know, he didn't, it wasn't, and it wasn't performative. Sort of he play. didn't like strut and, you know, say, I, I'm so mad. And this is, you know, he was, he played it yeah. very, very he well. He was trying to manage a situation. He was wearing his anger on his frustration on his sleeve, but he was also obedient. But I appreciated that. I appreciated, I thought that if that tone of candor had continued, we might be in a different place today. And one of the best pieces of the meeting that I've ever seen, one of the best pieces of Episcopal synodality and collegiality that I've ever seen was that as a result of not debating that plan, you recall that the bishops had all this spare time on their agenda. And they did the open mic. And it was Cardinal DiNardo's idea that they would especially do open mic, essentially do open mic night. It was synodality before, I don't think we were saying the word synodality. No, no. Only the CDF used that word back then. Only the CDF used it, and I guess the ITC had done a paper, but it wasn't, we did not yet know that it was the central motif by which all ecclesiological reality should be understood. And so... Um, we weren't saying synodality quite so much, but it was a genuinely synodal thing. The bishops just said where they saw God and where they thought God needed to be. And it was extraordinary. And it was a DiNardo joint, so to speak. And I think that DiNardo, you know, it does not have a big sort of outspoken public profile in the ongoing ecclesiological things of the of the uh, of the of the church today. But you know, I loved his intervention in Orlando. Do you remember his sole intervention in Orlando? No, I don't. I remember the he did get were, up and go, "Oh, he's here." And I, I, yeah. but I don't remember. The bishops were debating whether to vote, whether to approve the ongoing plan for formation of priests, which had been worked on then for yes. several years, and there had been all this backdooring, which I've reported, backdoor maneuvering, which I'd reported on, um, uh, and uh, you know, a, a lot of back and forth even to get it to the floor, and then there was seemed to be a somewhat coordinated effort to delay a vote on it. And DiNardo, understanding the reality of conference documents, that, they're, that they have a place, there's a reason for them, but they're not the be-all and end-all of everything, stood up and said, brothers, I think we should pass it. It's way too long, but I think we should pass it. And I appreciated, again, his candor. He recognized both the problem with the thing and the fact that, that um, dwelling on it more was not going to change sort of some of its fundamental issues. And I appreciated that. He is a straight so shooter. From, he's a straight shooter. I've always thought so. For, for my fifth pick... Cardinal Danny DiNardo, Daniel DiNardo. Good for you. That's that he was not on my board. That's a good one. I like that. Well done. If you're going to have an American on your C9. So you're not planning to have an American. I didn't say that. I said, if you're going to have an American <laughs> on your C9, I think he's probably. I have expected you. I have been expecting you. Is it okay if I make a projection? You could. Yeah, go for it. I have been expecting you to pick Cardinal Tobin this whole time because you seem to me like you would pick Cardinal Tobin. Well, we'll just see how the chips fall, won't we? Um, all right, for my fifth pick, I'm actually going to skip over one because I had, so as I said, I've been laying this out very carefully and I've been going right down the line. My fifth pick was going to be Cardinal Bow, but you got him. Um, so I don't have him. In my sixth, I can't believe you didn't know I was going to grab him. Well, I, it's not a question of whether I, I thought you I had, mean, Bo knows church. I can't believe I forgot to say Bo knows church. Bo knows church. Um, yeah. No, but I had him in the five spot. I had him right in the middle. So it was a, it was a calculated whether he was in your top five or not. I see. 
He was right on the bubble so for me about people you were likely to try and steal from me. And I wanted, I, I, I made a conscious decision. I picked all of my new crop guys up front, one, two, and three, to get them out of the way because it was a much more shallow pool to fish in. And I wanted yeah. to just, you know, get that out. I was, I was never going chow. I might have gone pizza ball and I, and Riss was on my list, but I was never going chow. I, no, it was Seiko I thought you might um, try and take from me, actually. So I had him one above Bo, but anyway, it didn't matter because you came out of the gate with Bo anyway. So in my sixth spot, I actually had um, one, two, three alternates because I figured you'd take one of them and I'd have to, but you haven't picked any of them. So I now feel like I've got all three options. They're still on the board. So I could either take your likely European slot that I think you have. (laughs) I I don't think you're going to get, I don't think you know where I'm going in Europe. I might not, but I, I have a, I have a... I, the, my point is, I don't actually care because I've got all three of my European alternates still on the board, and I'm going for. I'm going to skip down to my for my fifth pick. Skip down to my seven hole, who's actually another European, but I want him, and there's no substitute. So I'm going for Rainier Maria Cardinal Welke, Archbishop of Cologne. I thought he'd be on your list. Yeah, I didn't put him on mine because I thought he'd be on yours. Is a good, a solid. Like solid it pick. or lump it. You got to have a German. And Cardinal Velke, apart from being a faithful Catholic, which you absolutely cannot take for granted in the church in Germany these days, I'm afraid. And that's not me talking. That's Cardinal Walter Casper, ineligible for picking because he's over 80. Yeah, I don't think there's any real dispute about that. And I don't think you're going to get people writing in saying, I can't believe you would conjecture that. No, yeah. I think you're fine. You need to have a German. Um, and of the German Cardinal, I mean, Cardinal Welke, I would, I would consider having him even if it weren't for the mess of the church in Germany and even if he weren't obviously the pick of the availables uh for germany but i mean he's also an interesting guy he here's a fun story about cardinal velke and it also says a lot about the direction of the travel for the german church in the last few years which is this and he I, and i heard this story and i know it's true because he told me it himself at dinner one night and he said he was in dc this was i don't know six years ago or something like that and he'd come through town and, and i was having dinner with him and a few other people and he said no it was funny when he got the call that um, from the nuncio saying the Pope has uh, decided to name you a cardinal. This was Benedict the Sixteenth at the time. Cardinal Velke's response was, "Does he know who I am?" That Cardinal Velke considered himself, and most people in Germany considered him to be way too liberal for Benedict the Sixteenth to mm. possibly consider making him a cardinal. Mm. Like that, we've gone from Cardinal Velke was considered the bleeding edge of progressivism and beyond the mm. pale to now he is considered an anchor of the faith in Germany. And, mm. and that's for me, the kind of guy you want that, you know, when every, when the, when the, you know, when the walls are holding steady and everybody's, you know, in, in the, in the right corral and you're going around, you know, he can appear to be over here or over there, but actually when, when everything around you is shaking, who's the guy who plants himself right in the middle and says, no, I'm standing right with the church. I'm standing right where I need to be. Cardinal Wilkie, I'm having him. Well, then this makes my pick interesting. For the sixth pick, one, two, three, four, five. For the sixth pick of this 2023 C9 draft, Anders Arborelius of Sweden. My goodness. You seem shocked. I am. He wasn't on my board, and I'm now kicking myself. Cardinal Arborelius of Sweden is one of the most, most interesting cardinals in the world. He absolutely is. Uh, I, am, I am annoyed at myself that he wasn't on my board. Darn it. A Carmelite. Oh, the Bishop, Bishop of, of Stockholm. Stockholm. And Darn it. the apos- this is what makes it so interesting to me that you just picked Cardinal Velke, the apostolic visitator to Cologne. 
Yes. Yeah. Cardinal Arborellius made a cardinal by the Pope. Uh, when was that? When did he? When, I mean, uh, not too was, long he ago. was 2017. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Appointed a, uh, appointed a cardinal by the Pope in 2017. Um, like I say, a Carmelite, um, for the first Swede to occupy the Sea of Stockholm in, a, in like a bazillion years or something like that, a convert to the faith, he converted to the faith at 20, but um, what what I find really sort of interesting about his experience is not just that he's a convert, which I think is important and of value and helpful for us, and that he's a Carmelite, which means he presumably has an interior life and he knows how to pray, and I think that's really, really, really important. I can't, um, I can't uh, stress that. But that yeah. it seems to me that the Bishop of Stockholm has a particular insight today into the contemporary reality of Catholicism in Europe, because most of his Catholics are either Eastern European immigrants or Eastern Catholics from the Middle East, who are not technically even part of his flock, right, are not his subjects, but for whom he has some pastoral responsibility by virtue of the fact that they're there. Europe, obviously, is changing. And as Europe secularizes and practicing Catholics become a minority, they are become a minority, they are minority not only because there are fewer of, like, you know, ethnic Swedes who practice the faith or whatever, but also because many of the practicing Catholics are immigrants from other parts of the world, and most especially North Africa and the Middle East. And that's extremely pronounced in Stockholm. And he has done, I think, Cardinal Arborellis has done a really interesting job of inviting those immigrant Catholics to have a central place in the life of the Church, ensuring that the Church, like, he has all these initiatives that aim at ensuring that the Church is a home for people such that it's not sort of transitioning them into becoming sort of secular Swedes, but that they become a, 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 a voice in Sweden and in Europe. And I think that pastoral experience, which is not entirely unique but pronounced, is really quite something um, and beautiful and, and worth hearing from with regularity. Plus, he's a Carmelite, which means, again, I think he probably knows how to pray, and I think that's very important. He's smart. And he's a member of the Secretariat for the Economy, and I don't think he BSs, and I don't think he's financially corrupt, and so I want his voice on the financial matters that would be critical for addressing. It's a great pick, up and down. I'm I'm physically annoyed at myself for not having him on my board. That is a, <laughs> Thank you. That I is really a, appreciate that. It is a great pick. I really appreciate that. Uh, that, in fact, may be best pick so far. Um Oh, yeah, he's a good, he's a good, don't sleep on Anders. No, don't. Very good. Excellent. All right. Um, and he's a cardinal of a little place. So he's much more like a typical diocesan bishop. I mean, there are not that many Catholics in all of Sweden. Yeah. So it's not like he's, you know. Is it a whole country diocese? Like, like Okapliki. No, there's a diocese in Malmo. I think there might be five oh, okay. dioceses in Sweden or something like that. Something okay. like that. But anyway, he's, he's a diocesan bishop. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I hear you. I like it. Um, good pick. Okay. So for my sixth pick, I am going to pick, please, Cardinal Antoine Cambanda. Let me just go back. 120,000 Catholics in his diocese. That's what I'm getting at. Who's Antoine Cambanda? Uh, Cardinal Antoine Cambanda is the Archbishop of Kigali, Rwanda. 
Oh, Ed, you're a Rwanda man. You've always been. I, I am a Rwanda man. It's a country that is very near and dear to my heart. I've spent more than a little time there. Uh, I know the city of Kigali well. I am a a big fan of the the beauty that has come out of the horror that that country has been to. Uh, case in point, Archbishop Kambanda, his entire family was killed in the Rwandan genocide. Not just his parents, but I believe five of his six brothers and sisters, to say nothing of you know his extended family, were all killed in the genocide in 1994. Um, this is a guy who has led pilgrimages across the border into Uganda. And if you know anything about the history of the region, and even the very recent history of the region, let's just say there are issues around going over the Ugandan-Rwandan border. Um, it's not always done for the best reasons and with the best intent. And sometimes it's done for very important reasons. Like, you know, the it, it's a complicated situation there. The whole triangle of the DRC, Uganda, Rwanda, all of that. But anyway, he has led pilgrims across the border of Uganda to commemorate the Ugandan martyrs. He's spoken often about the witness of um, Christians in Africa willing to give their lives for their faith and that this is how the faith spreads. Um, He has spoken beautifully as, frankly, a lot of Rwandan genocide survivors have, in my experience, about forgiveness in a way that, frankly, I don't know anyone else in the world who can speak with that kind of practical experience. That, you know, um, the reality of, I mean, don't get me wrong, the political reality of Rwanda is still very complicated and either you're a little bit precarious President Paul Kagame is, um, he's transitioning very well into a problematic absolute ruler, uh, which is not great. But in terms of wider society in Rwanda post the genocide, it I don't know how to explain or relate what it is like to go to a country where people live side by side, work together, have beers together, and you know that one of them macheted to death members of the other's family, and that the entire country has made this national act of will, not to forget, but to forgive. They're very clear. Every Rwandan I know I've spoken to said, it is never a question of forgetting. It is a question of forgiving. And forgiveness is an act of the will. And it is heroic. And it is heroic on a national level and bone deep in the culture there. And it needs to be done every single day. Like, I think a lot of people think, oh, the Rwandan genocide, you know, that was in 94 and is a long time ago. It is not a long time ago. And the cultural tensions, the tribal tensions that caused it are still there. They are still simmering away. And it is only this kind of heroic Christian witness that Cardinal Kambanda talks about a lot and has witnessed in his own family and how he found his own vocation um, that keeps it together. And that is a guy, I want him in my C9. I want him at my top table. I want him talking. I love it. Seventh pick. We're getting deep into the weeds here, but you know what? These uh, these later round picks, uh, th- there's a lot of power here. Yeah. I love that pick. Oh, That's no. My, favorite my batting order was totally reversed. All my power's in the bottom um, because I... Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Anthony Pula. Ooh. Cardinal Anthony Pula is the Archbishop of Hyderabad and uh, was made a, po- made a cardinal by the Pope in the last round, which He's I want to say He's was like 22. 60, isn't he? He's 60 or 61 now. Uh, he is the first Dalit cardinal. He is the first uh, cardinal of the untouchable caste. But and that's very important. Um, this is a guy who's experienced as pastoral, who has um, spent a lot of time in catechetical work, building Catholic schools, building Catholic hospitals, building parishes, 
but the reason I want him on the C9, Ed, is because I want the C9's conversations to be released from the stranglehold of Western of the Western moral conversation. Amen. I don't want the C9 to spend one minute talking about Ordinatio Sacerdotalis or Humana Vitae and why a bunch of feet or angry Western intellectuals think those things should be rescinded, which is not possible. I want to talk about the dynamism of the church in the places where it has dynamism, and I want to talk about the persecution of the church in the places where it has persecution, and I want to know if I'm the pontiff, which in this exercise I am, uh, I want to know what the experience, what, what the wisdom is of places that are unfamiliar to me. Like, I don't know anything about the wisdom of Indian Catholic spirituality. Latin, Sir Malinbar, Sir Malankar, they're probably, you know, they're probably other expressions of, they're probably Chaldean and Syriac Catholics living in India, I would guess. Um, and I, I want to know the wisdom of that experience, and I want to know how it can inform the life of the Church in the West, which is in need of renewal. So I want to know Cardinal Poole's wisdom. I don't know where he stands on sort of various Western neuralgic issues, but I want not to care, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. Cardinal Pula. Um, well, in line with that, uh, actually... <laughs> My number seven pick, also from the country of India, is Cardinal Basilius Clemis. Ah. Who is... Tell us about him. Uh, he is the head of the Syro-Malankara Church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the Syro-Malabar Church. Not The Syro-Malabar, as readers of the pillar know, are the ones who are right now in a big to-do about their liturgy and all of this. But the Syro-Malankars are not. But we, Ed, do you know this fellow... I do not know him personally, but here's the thing. Um, first of all, I've been making my picks the preferential option for Eastern Churches sui juris. I can m- tell. Yeah. much the same reason that I you... I think that's really smart. I wish I'd done it. I'm kicking myself that I didn't pick him. Yeah, for much the same reason that you uh, suggested cardinals who were as far away from the sort of insular Western European, North American cultural... Yeah nonsense circular arguments i want the same thing yeah. i want yeah. i want to have i mean i'm going for how do I, uh, one two i could probably give one more but anyway i would like to have a good number of eastern church series i think that it's important to have indian catholicism represented which is incredibly diverse and rich i mean for those of you who think oh well are the syro malabars kind of like the silo mountain cars no they're not no they're, they're completely not. we had different. A, that they, super interesting conversation in orlando with a syro malankar bishop who invited us to interview him which we'll do and yeah. he was started breaking down for us like the liturgical issues in their church and it was uh, i mean it was just like over the coffee break and these other guys are talking about like golf and this guy is breaking mm-hmm. down for us hundreds of years of like spiritual nuance that's informed the liturgy and liturgical decisions and stuff. It's fascinating. And the, and the problem, I mean, he was starting talking to us about the problem of syncretism Mm -hmm. in various liturgical movements in India that was absolutely engaging and something neither of us knew anything about. Yeah, exactly. Um, And the Silomanakaras are in this very interesting thing where the, um, the church comes basically from the Syrian church, the Assyrian church of the East it's been in and out of mm-hmm. union with Rome yeah. over the millennia. Um, they, they've had sort of, you know, problems with Nestorianism in the past, you could say. Uh, but anyway, this is, and given the situation in India for Indian Catholics right now, 
Um, th- this is, again, an emerging place of heavy anti-Christian persecution, also for a church that is, you know, relatively in the grand scheme of things, small. This is the, the Cyril Malankara church. I want them to have a seat at the top table. This guy, he's a very, he's young, um, so he's got a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of years left in him uh, to play the sport. Um, but he's been, you know, a member of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, Congregation for Oriental Churches. Uh, he's been president of the Catholic Bishops Conference of India in the past. You know, this this is a guy who can give you um, both a broad look across the Indian subcontinent and everything that's going on there, and also be, uh, in, in the words of the Synodal Secretary in Rome, a prophetic voice from the margins. Um, this guy, this guy can bat. Um, right-handed and left-handed, I guess is what I'm saying in, in that. And so I think he's he's a good guy to have. Okay. I have to tell you, I really like that pick so much so that it's going to influence my eighth-round pick. I'm going to pivot. Okay. Because I, because I would like to have an Eastern Catholic represented on the C9, and, and so I'm going to pivot to uh, I was considering um, I was considering a Latin who is an official at the Congregation for Eastern for Eastern Catholics, but wow. for the Eastern churches, but what I don't think that was an Italian way of thinking about it. I know exactly. Yeah, he's, he's a basically so somebody, an Easterner. He's from Napoli. No, but I mean, it's hugely important to have the Eastern to have the voice of the Eastern Church. I think I think Eastern Catholic churches. I think you're absolutely right about that. I don't know hardly anything about this fellow. I I met him at a at a Vincentian thing a couple times, a, a Vincentian birthday party actually, but. Do you know anything about Cardinal Sue Raphael? No, I don't. Tell me more. Cardinal Sue Raphael uh, is the Archbishop of Addis Abeba, um, which is uh, the capital of Ethiopia, and um, of Incension, and um, has been president of the Ethiopian Bishops' Conference, and I am choosing him. I'm going to just put this out there. I am choosing him because you have convinced me it is important to have an Eastern Catholic. I don't know that much about him, so I, I don't want to even pretend. I'm putting <laughs> Sue Raphael on my list, and then we will learn all well, about each other. What you're basically saying is you've decided you, you need a third baseman, so you're just drafting a third baseman at this point. And I'm going to be like, hey, we met each other at a Vincentian's birthday party 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember me. He's going to be like, I don't. And I'll be like, okay, cool, but in this imaginary scenario, I'm the Pope, so maybe you should pretend that you met me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I think he'll probably play that up. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, he'll be like, yeah, sure. In this pretend scenario, I will be. Yeah, okay, cool. No, I think that works well. Um, good for you. Um, I, eighth, eighth round, Ed. Eighth round. We're deep in the weeds here. Um, Ethiopian Catholic Church, by the way, just um, the Catholic Church is a communion of tw- of uh, 24 uh, churches, um, each in communion with the Bishop of Rome, the largest of which is the Latin Catholic Church, which most of us belong to, but um, others include, for example, the Ukrainian Catholic Church, the Maronite Catholic Church, the Ruthenian Catholic Church, the Ethiopian Catholic Church, the Eritrean Catholic Church, and very many others. Um, there are some, because most Ethiopians, as you probably know, are, well, most Ethiopian Christians, as you probably know, are Orthodox, but there are some 70,000 members of the Ethiopian Catholic Church, a Suiyuris Eastern Catholic Church of its own right, with its, uh, uh, in Question. its own right, R-I-C-H-T, yes. Are they the same Ethiopian church that have those insanely cool historical churches that are dug out of the living rock straight down? Probably, I don't know. Like a sort of submerged Petra. I, I mean, I know they're, I know those churches are Ethiopian, and they are ancient Ethiopian Christian, I, and I know they're still in use by the original community. I don't know if they're Catholic or not. I, I tell you what, when Sue Raphael comes to the first meeting, you can ask—well, I'm not saying you're going to be at the Let's meeting, but Ethiopia. I'll let you come to the meeting. Dude, 
let's go to Ethiopia. I mean, if, I would love to do that. If we yeah, had, if we had the subscribers, I would immediately. If we had the subscribers to fund that kind and of, you trip. know that I don't know if you know this, but Mrs. Flynn believes that the future of the pillar is us traveling to the church in far flung parts of the world and having serious conversations about the situation of the church qua church in those places. And I think that vision of Mrs. Flynn's is beautiful. This, I didn't intend for this to be a commercial, but if we ever have the money to like, if pillar ever has the money for us to be on the road a lot more to different parts of the world, really deep diving into the state of the church in those places, I'd really like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. The intro life of the church. I mean, the same stuff that we do in the U.S. I'd like yes. to know all about the Ethiopian Bishops Conference. Oh, no, a hundred percent. I wish we had, what would it take? I don't know. Let's let's pick a number, 5,000 more subscribers <laughs> and just really that shoot would do them. It. That would do it. But yeah, I, I mean, it's fun and games for us to be able to go to places like Missouri and Tennessee and, you know, Chicago and Orlando and, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, I, I would like, uh, for obvious reasons, I'd like us to go to India. I would like to go to Ethiopia. I'd like to go to Hong Kong. And I think I, Cardinal you know. Sue Raphael, now that he knows I've picked him, which Obviously. I think is probably going to get back to him. I, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping it gets back to him. Could you imagine you're just this Ethiopian cardinal, you're the Archbishop of Addis Abeba, and someone's like, Eminence, Eminence, the Pillar podcast picked you. He's like, well, I don't even want to know what this is. As a bishop in this country recently asked, who is J.D. Flynn? What is the pillar? And is why JD is he asking Flynn? questions asking about, about my church sui yeah, exactly. exactly. I was trying to find out about a Melkite, formerly Melkite bishop and, and his parochial vicar is telling us, he says, who is this J.D. Flynn? What is he asking about me for? So I don't know. All right. So eight for you, Ed. Eight for you. Eight um, to you. Eight for me. I, I, I'm, I grudgingly admit I need to have a North American on the C9. There's just, there are just, the church is just too big on the North American continent. You can't ignore it. You need to have someone there in the same way that you need to have, I would argue, a German. Um, you need to have a North American. So um, shamelessly exploiting the rules is defined that they have to just be an eligible Cardinal elector. I'm going with Cardinal Collins, Emeritus Archbishop of Toronto and Pillar Reader in a good way. I think that's a, a great way. pick. Cardinal Collins is on my, is on my, could to be potentially chosen list, Ed. I think that's a great pick. Yeah, he's absolutely hands down my North American. The Emeritus uh, Archbishop of Toronto. Yep. Pillar reader in a good way. Thoughtful Pillar man, reader man in of a good prayer. Way. We'll put a link to our interview with Cardinal Collins in the show notes to the show because I had a fascinating conversation with Cardinal Collins about, I don't know what, a couple of months ago. Lots of stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it, went was, it went across the, the whole situation, the political situation. It was a wide-ranging conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was fascinating. We'll put fascinating. a link to that in the show notes, but I'm, I think you made a good pick there. Yeah, for anyone who wants to know why I'm picking him, even though he's now emeritus, read that interview. It, it your questions will be answered. And now I am down to my last pick. Your last pick, buddy. Make it count. Okay. I have been considering the Archbishop of Seoul or the emeritus Archbishop of Seoul. He's very old, though. You're not going to get much mileage out of him as a pick. The guy I'm thinking of is 76. Oh, maybe he's the Archbishop of Seoul, actually. I I feel like the emeritus Archbishop of Seoul. Is like seventy. No, the Emeritus Archbishop of Seoul is seventy. Oh, seventy nine. So no, I would not get much mileage out of him. But you're hoping for basically he's the a, a good he, season he, of relief. And he was the Apostolic Administrator of Pyongyang. I. You don't That's have the to most sell me on why he's interesting. In that is the most interesting assignment in the life of the church. I mean, come on. Apostolic was he ever there? Pyongyang. I doubt it. Although he has a diplomatic passport. Well. Uh, yeah, but uh, let's be honest. The North Koreans are not known for respecting diplomatic immunity. Yeah. I have been considering the Archbishop of Warsaw on the general principle that you got to have a poll. Uh, I have been 
considering the Archbishop Archbishop Cuerva, the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, who we pro, who we had a great profile of recently. We'll put that in the show notes. Do you remember that profile? I do. Yeah. I have been considering Cardinal Ike. Mm-hmm. Several of these are things I had on list of cardinals. Cardinals JD was likely to pick. So I'm. I'm. It's funny oh, really? to me that most of the ones I thought you were likely to pick are, are all now just vying for your final pick. I have been considering indeed the Archbishop of Utrecht, but I think if I want to know what he thinks, I'll ask Anders to ask him for me. Fair enough. Got to do it. I got to do it. Joseph Cardinal Tobin. Okay, tell me why. I think that Cardinal Tobin has an interesting set of experiences in the life of the church, and having had a lot of experience at what the congregation now known as Dickelsell, I think that Cardinal Tobin has an interesting and important perspective on religious life. I think it is probably obvious to readers that I sometimes disagree with Cardinal Tobin about theological issues. However, I think that his perspective on religious life and his experience in religious life is important because religious life is an important part of the life of the church, and I want to talk to someone with experience in religious life. And Cardinal Tobin is doing, even right now, some interesting things with the sort of reform and renewal of religious communities all around the world. Plus, I have been asking Cardinal Tobin since 2018 to release to the public the Archdiocese of Newark's financial records of Theodore Cardinal McCarrick. In this hypothetical situation, I feel like I have a better shot at accomplishing that thing, which I think is important for the renewal of the life of the church. Well, in this hypothetical, you're already the Pope, so... Oh, that's a good point, Ed. That's a very good point. And he's a religious, so technically he's under a vow of obedience, so you could just order him to do it. That's a very good point. I could. I am. But I can't cut him now. I mean, I can't. Honestly, I can't. But I can't can't cut cut him him now. (laughs) Okay. Um... Right. I'm not saying I agree with him about very, very many things. That should be obvious. I am saying that I would like... I, I'm saying that I... First of all, I think his perspective on religious life is important. Second of all, I view... Okay, I view my role here in the C9, the fantasy C9, as a two-way street. I'm hearing from them, but I'm also... I can be persuasive at the C9. And I think having... I think Cardinal Tobin, if the Pope... If I were the Pope... I would recognize that there, if I were the Pope, there would, I would recognize there's a cadre of American cardinals who existed, who I would need to be persuasive of a different, of, a, uh, of my vision for the life of, my vision for the pastoral ministry and life of the church, for the, my vision for the reform and renewal of the church. And I would like to think that in addition to hearing Cardinal Tobin's experience with religious life, which I do think is important, I would like to think that I might I think the Pope should probably view this organization as being something which helps him to cement relationships that allow him to be persuasive, and I would like to think that Cardinal Tobin might be a person with whom I could potentially form a relationship that might allow my vision for the reform, renewal, and pastoral life and evangelical life of the Church to be better accomplished. I find this so funny that you've gone for Cardinal Tobin as your ninth pick, and I mean, lifting the court when 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 discussing, as we often do, the state of the church in the United States, I am a, a fairly well known, I think, an unapologetic Cardinal Tobin fan. Like, I like the guy. Um, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a man of sincere faith. I like you. I don't think I would agree with him on everything, but 
Um, I hear, for example, from all of the priests that I talk to in his Archdiocese of Newark, they all say that he is a very pastoral and concerned father to them. Um, you know, I, I like the guy. I like the guy a lot. But it amuses me that this whole time you have been side-eyeing me and saying, when are you going to pick Cardinal Tobin? When are you going to pick Cardinal Tobin? <laughs> and you've picked him at number nine, and I didn't have him on my list. My, I had one slot for North American, and I had Cardinal Collins. So... <laughs> He was never on, he was never on the board for me. I I kind of like the first decision I made when I was like trying to figure out who I was going to pick, and I wanted to make sure I got you know a couple of Eastern churches on here. I wanted to, you know I wanted the Patriarch of Jerusalem, I, you know, and I was like I got to free up some room on the list. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm just not picking an American. I I don't need one. Uh, that's fine, thank you. Um, so that was a conscious decision on my part. I was never it, I never had an American cardinal on my list. I just decided I didn't you know I didn't want one. So it, it, it's amusing to me that for your ninth pick, you've gone for Cardinal Tobin, when actually you, when we're having our own internal dialogues, you tend to be the more... I'm harder on Cardinal Tobin than you, and I'm more cynical and skeptical about yes. his administration. I was going to say you were a little more bearish on him, but yes. Yeah. Um, actually, though, Ed, I've just realized something. What's that? I can't pick him. Why not? I have not yet picked three newbies. <gasps> it's true. You didn't pick your third newbie. Yeah, I can't pick him. Oh, oh, so interesting. So Tobin's now back on the board, and you've got to go back to the well, and you've got to pick another newbie. I don't have to go back to the well because I know. Oh, you've got you know who it is. I mean, I know other people who I want. You know what I mean? Okay, I, I I'll, can I just say who I think you're going to pick? Sure. No, actually, I'm not. I'm going to let you pick because if you don't take him, he's going to be my final pick. So go for it. Sebastian Francis, the Bishop of Penang. Interesting. Malaysia. Yeah. Did not see that coming. I tell you what, Ed. Tell me. If I'm the pontiff. You are, in, for the purposes of this game. In this situation. If I'm the pontiff, I want to convert Malaysia to Christianity. All right. I mean, I want to convert the whole, the whole world to convert Christianity, obviously. Even if but, they're going um, to World Youth Day? Yeah, yeah, for me, yes. Yes. For me, yes. Um, yes. Um. I um, had to pick a new guy. <laughs> I had to pick a new guy, and I don't know very much about Sebastian Francis. But I don't want to pick an Italian. Well, look, there are there are bishops on the list, and then I could roll the dice on something on getting something really interesting. I mean, what's happening here? This is what you do in late round draft picks, right? It's true. You, you think you I could? There's a safe a pick ticket. that I could make. There's a bunch of safe picks that I could make. I know what Pierre would say on the thing, and it'd be interesting. Whatever, whatever. I know what, who Stephen Brislin is, and I know what he'd say. I know who the Archbishop of Cordoba is. I know who the Archbishop of Bogota is. I know what they would say. I know what they'd represent. But what I'm doing here effectively, Ed, is I'm rolling the dice on a pick that I have no idea what to expect from. I don't know—again, I know nothing about the ecclesiastical issues of Malaysia. That's I know nothing I about like their perspective. It. I find this guy interesting because he has a master's degree from somewhere in the U.S. in something called Peace and Justice, and I— don't know what to think of that. Um, oh, he studied at the Marino School of Theology in New York, where he, in 1991 he got a he got a degree in justice and peace. So that's probably not a perspective I'm hearing very often. Uh, but it's sort of informed by it's sort of informed by uh, the pastoral experience of being the bishop of Malaysia. Um, 
And I'd like to see what that's like. He's president of the Malaysian Bishops' Conference. He's president of the Bishops' Conference of Malaysia, Singapore, and Brunei. I'm rolling the dice on the guy. I, I could say any number of other cardinals who might give me a sort of interesting perspective, but I could get it otherwise. I'm rolling the dice on Sebastian Francis. Good for you. Um, and thank you for leaving Cardinal-to-be Stephen Amayu on the board for me, who was now my ninth pick. That's a good pick. That's I get it. I get it. Tell tell the people why you picked him. Uh, again, we, in fact, we I think we, actually we talked about um, Bishop Amayu. Uh, you talked about him at some length. You had you know him, don't you? I don't know if he would be like, yeah, we're pals, but I. You have spoken to him. Yeah. You have spoken with him before. Um, we have we have covered him at the pillar before. And in fact, when we had uh, the show, when you came back from vacation, talking about the newest week, we we talked we a lot about him. Juba, by the way. What did I say? Juba, South Sudan. No, no, I'm just oh, telling people. Yeah, they're not, no, he's, yeah. This is the Archbishop of Juba, South Sudan. Yeah. yeah. But again, the perspective on um, real tribalism, literal tribalism, uh, in yeah. as, a, as an animating problem in the church in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, um, but also as someone who has, and, you know, we, we've seen this coming out of the reports uh, from sub-Saharan Africa, the power of authentic synodality and an authentic synodal process. And the fruits that I can bear. I think, you know, this is, he is my synodal pick. He's, he's my, in fact, he may end up, uh, you know, I may say when he's done a couple of years in Juba, I may say, you know what? I'm going to make you uh, secretary general. Yeah. But a secretary general. Of the, of the, um, secret, the permanent nope. secretariat for the Senate of Bishops. Oh, the permanent secretary for the thing. Well, that'd be interesting. Well, listen, Ed, I, I think I, you made a lot of good picks. You, you convinced me to do something, which I feel bad that I overlooked, which was to take an Eastern Catholic. I'm very grateful for that. I think your C9 would be a great, a really great Catholic conversation. And I think mine would be too. So I, I, I love it. I mean, how do you, how do we know who is the winner? Oh, people will tell us. The people will like, the people will make it known. Um, the ladies and gentlemen at home. Okay. So let's, to, in order to help them. Um, so mine, for anyone who, needs refreshing in fact i've got four newbies i i feel like i you know right there that's that's pretty good work but i have yeah. um reesh i have stephen chow i have pizza bala i have um rafael seiko i have stephen amayu i have rainier maria welke i have basilius clemis i have antoine Cambanda, and i have cardinal collins uh you have cardinal morning bow you have Rugambwa, you have Tuco Fernandez, which again, didn't see that coming. Peter Ocapole, uh, Cardinal DiNardo of Houston, Aborlius of Sweden, uh, Poda, you of um, India. Of Hyderabad. Yeah. Uh, and Cardinal Francis, and who am I forgetting? Uh, Sue Raphael. Sue Raphael, that's it, uh, from Addis Ababa. Yeah, don't, don't sleep on Ethiopia. Don't sleep on Ethiopia. I'm deadly, I'm deadly serious. If we have the subs, we are going to Ethiopia because I've always wanted to see those churches dug into the ground. I'd love to go to Ethiopia. Let's do it. Okay, so this is... so we'll get tattoos because that's what they do in, 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 in Ethiopia. They do The Christians okay. all do tattoos. We'll get tattoos. How do... Um, uh, you know, the there's comments. a really interesting... In the show notes. People can just... There's you know, a... Yeah, people can vote. We'll figure out a way for people to you know, vote. You know what we'll do? I'll, we'll post a, I'll post a straightforward poll on the on the Pillar Twitter account. On Twitter. Yeah, that'd be great. And you can write in and let us know who you think won or give us a review of the show or you think won. And so we have – this whole episode has been a game, Ed, and I feel bad because I have actually uh, – I actually have a game no. for us. If you'd like to top this game off with a game. I would love to top the game off with a game. I, I, had, okay. a, I had a game to finish with that was totally off topic, but I hadn't – I didn't take the five minutes. 
to yeah. finish it, so I'll save it for next week. Next week begins World Youth Day, uh, as you know, uh, in Lisbon, Portugal, and we lamentably are not going to World Youth Day, but we'll have great coverage. We'll have a World Youth Day diary every day uh, from um, from our Portuguese correspondent, Felipe, which I think will be great, who's done a lot of great coverage and will continue to. Um, so we'll have lots of cool World Youth Day coverage next week. Um, you and I will be at a Canon Law Conference next week. Uh, so that'll be... That's how we do. Kinda, it's kind of like World Youth Day. I mean, World Canonist Day. I don't know. But it's not in Portugal, Ed, but I do want to ask you about Portugal. So Kate Oliveira, our executive producer, has produced for me um, a, a very simple round of Portugal yes or no, if you're ready for it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, are you ready, Ed? Portugal yes or no? Hit me. Port. Yes. Ronaldo. No. What is Ronaldo? A soccer? Uh, Ronaldo, there are there are several Ronaldos. The one that I suspect is being referenced is, is, the, is the whining, frosted tip sporting... Um, prima donna. I don't. I don't care for him. I didn't mind the Brazilian Ronaldo back in his pomp, although he was also um, personally problematic. I think he, I didn't. You know, it's funny that you bring up Ronaldo though, because um, he's one of these uh, football players who's signed a big money deal to go to Saudi Arabia to sort of see out his career. Oh, right. in this, yeah. And he's. I actually wrote about exactly this in the last section of my newsletter for um, tomorrow today. You know. We're recording this on Thursday, um, which you haven't read yet. So it's interesting that you've gone for Ronaldo because uh, uh, he personally doesn't, but his sort of his type and his brand of sports superstar uh, does feature music. So hard no on him. Custard tarts. Oh, yeah. Oh, a Portuguese tart. Yes, please. All right. Surfing. Ed, do you know the waves in Nazar, Portugal, sometimes reach 80 plus feet? I was completely unaware of that. Um, I... I Okay, you've put me in a cleft stick here, just giving me yes or no on surfing. I, I've never done it. Um, I, I expect I would be hilariously and catastrophically bad at it if I attempted it. But nevertheless, it looks cool. I mean, I'm against it, so I guess I'm saying yes. Okay, great. Um, Portugal, the man. There is a man named Portugal. No, Portugal, the man is a band. Uh, a, an American rock band from Wasilla, Alaska, currently based in Portland, Oregon. Uh, they have released two records. I, I You tend to know about bands, and I don't, so I'm surprised you don't know about them. But I, then again, I don't know about them either. There's, there's a band called Portugal the Man in Oregon from Alaska. That sounds that seems seems to be the case. Again. No, that that's too to confusing. No. <laughs> okay, good enough. Sardines. Yes, Delicious. Trams. Lisbon's tram system has been in operation since 1873. Trams. Um, I mean, I guess the thing is, like all of like all historical public transportation networks, it's more probably more of a tourist trap at this point than it is, you know, an effective means of getting yeah. around town. But you know, sure, I'm sure they look pretty. I I will sit my port and have a tart while I watch the tram go by. Yes. Now this person could be one of two people, and I'm not sure which one. Pop star Nelly Furtado has Portuguese parents, but I don't know if that's Nelly, like Nelly, 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 I love you, or if that's, um, I'm like a bird, I want to fly away. You might it's know. It's the latter. But anyway, oh, okay, she, she's like a bird. Yes. She wants to fly away, okay. Uh, uh, well, uh, Nelly if you, Furtado. Okay. Uh, I, I never bought any of her music. I don't particularly like it, but I have um, nothing particularly against her uh unlike the r&b artist of the early audies nelly who was terrible 
So what yeah, you since like you Air introduced that, comp- where are you getting part- them colors? Are you dyeing them? I, I, I can't stand. He was he. There was that whole section of hip hop in the Force early one. the like Nelly Jaw Rule. Like it was just all terrible. It really was all terrible. Um, was Nelly Nelly wore a bandaid? Yeah, he was the one who wore a bandaid on his face, and like you know, you know these guys, these sort of you know ridiculous pseudo tough guys from the Midwest that were just like, oh, give me a break, please. Um, totally get it. I kind of, I, I, I just know. wanted, you know, I, I, I wanted Ice Cube to just, you know, give him a swirly. It was blast him. It, yeah. Um, um, so anyway, well, uh, since you introduced the comparison to Nelly, I will say yes to Nelly Furtado because I'm a hard no. Nelly Furtado, no. yes. Nelly, no. Okay. World Youth Day. Yes. Of course. Good. Okay. Great. Yeah. There you go. Good. Probably a good choice. Okay. Ed, very good. Uh, this week's. I think excellent Catholic conversation. I really look forward to finding out who won. I think you had a very strong draft, and I want to commend you for that. Um, but this week's C9 mock draft uh, was brought to you by Seton Home Study School. That Check it out to see if Seton Home Study School is right for your family. It's seatonhome.org. And the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media, Ned and J.D. Production. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn, joined by my podcasting partner, co-founder, great drafting pal, Ed Condon. Next week, we will be at a Canon Law conference canon lawing it up see you then